Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. Richard Lane with you on Friday, September the 20th. This week we have a themed issue of the Lancet. It's themed Countdown, Countdown to 2015. That is the deadline for the Millennium Development Goals. And much of the content in this week's issue is relevant to this very important global health issue. Also to mention that the upcoming United Nations General Assembly, no less, will have on its agenda human development post-2015. So this issue of the Lancet, very relevant to that United Nations meeting. Plenty of items to read in the issue, an editorial, several comments, a research article, and in other parts of the journal. But for the podcast, we're going to interview a familiar voice and face to The Lancet, and that is Jennifer Bryce. And in the issue, she's written a review, and it is arrestingly entitled The Unfinished Agenda of Child Survival. So to find out more, I spoke to Jennifer. Here she is, introducing herself. My name is Jennifer Bryce, and I am a senior scientist with the Institute for International Programs at Johns Hopkins University. Jennifer Bryce, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. You're one of the authors of a review we're publishing in our special themed countdown issue of The Lancet. And your review is entitled The Unfinished Agenda in Child Survival. That's a great title. We'll go into the details of it in a moment. But first of all, I think we should acknowledge there's a bit of an anniversary this year. It's 10 years, isn't it, since we worked with you here at The Lancet. We worked with you about launching our first series on child survival. Why don't you just take us back and tell us about how that happened and and why that happened at that time? Because that's very relevant to the work that's been going on in the past decade. Thanks, Richard. Well, you know, it was an unusual time in 2003 because child survival had really fallen off the international agenda. We had the opportunity to call together at the Rockefeller Bellagio Center in Italy three groups of scientists that had been working relatively independently up till that point. One of them was working on evaluating large-scale programs for child survival using the Integrated Management of Childhood Illness Strategy. One group was working on equity in child survival, and one group was trying to unpack the causes of child deaths to make it easier to address them. And these three groups came together because they shared a fundamental concern that people at global level, including the UN, just weren't paying enough attention. And because of that, coverage with interventions that we knew were available, that were affordable in poor countries, and that could save children's lives weren't being scaled up. So we put together this series with tremendous support from Lancet, we basically called, we tried to call the world to task to say, hey, look, we can do this. We've got the tools. We just need the effort, the priority, the resources to make it happen to save over 60% of the children that die each year without doing anything new, just doing more of what we know how to do. So we ended that series by calling for greater accountability. We said we've got to track whether children are getting the services that can save their lives in every country regularly, every two years at least. And if that's not happening, we need to ask why. So we did that. And we, in the final paper of the series, called for monitoring of coverage levels in the countries with the highest burden of child deaths. And we said, we're going to watch. We're going to establish the countdown to 2015, and we're going to watch, and we're going to publish country profiles every two years that show whether progress is being made. Thank you, Jennifer, very much. And that's very clear. Before we go on and talk about some of the very real progress that has been made, and of course, there are areas where 
there needs to be more progress, which of course we'll talk about as well. Just remind us though how this relates specifically to the Millennium Development Goals, particularly four and five. Millennium Development Goal 4 is focused on child survival and calls for a two-thirds reduction in under five mortality with a baseline of 1990 and an end line of 2015, which as you can see is upon us. So the issue of child survival was advanced by the focus of the MDG. And since that time, there have been important global monitoring efforts that complement those of Countdown to see how countries are doing. MDG 5 for maternal health is also tremendously important because children's health and mother's health are linked and cannot be separated. Let's hear the good news because there has, we don't want to get overexcited because there's still clearly areas where there's an enormous amount of work to be done up to and post 2015 clearly but tell us the good news tell us where there's been real progress and give us some some real concrete examples if you can at global level the biggest and perhaps easiest progress to understand is that the number of child deaths has dropped and it's now down to about seven million per year that's a tremendous advance but there have also been other underlying advances that have led to that. So first, we understand a lot more now than we used to about what causes child deaths. And understanding what causes them allows us to target our interventions to prevent them. That's a great thing. There have also been new strategies developed and widely implemented that take services out of health facilities and all the way to the doorstep of mothers, children, and families so that they do not need to spend money, time, or energy to get to those services. In general, at global level, there's been enormous progress. Unfortunately, as you say, um, once you get under those global numbers and start looking at country by country or even district by district, you find that there is much, much more to do. And that's that's where the title of the unfinished agenda came from. Can you just also go on and give some examples of interventions? And back in 2003, you were saying we're not calling for new interventions. We're talking about existing resources, what we can do now. So we are talking about, what, nutrition? We're talking about things like better use and distribution of uh, insecticide-treated bed nets in malaria areas. Can you give us some other examples of the interventions that we're talking about? I think we need to focus heavily on not just the interventions themselves, because, yes, indeed, there are new and important interventions to address neonatal deaths. There are better malaria regimens. There is, as you pointed out, long-lasting insecticide-treated nets for malaria did not exist in 2003. So there are better versions of old interventions. There are new interventions coming along, vaccines for pneumococcal disease, better strategies for preventing newborn deaths. And in addition, there are new strategies for delivering those interventions to higher proportions of women and children. It's not just that we have the tools, it's that we're learning more about how to get those tools to the women and the children whose lives they can save. Do carry on. You were about to, to, to move on and tell us that, yes, despite at a global level some, some good news, and you talk about this significant reduction in child deaths, but still 7 million deaths a year, which must be still 7 million avoidable deaths in theory per year. Tell us about uh, the problem areas that remain. What are the priorities up to 2015 and obviously more crucially beyond? One of the biggest continuing gaps in our efforts is that 
some of the interventions that we know are effective in preventing child deaths simply aren't reaching enough women and children. I think treatment for pneumonia and treatment with ORS and zinc for diarrhea are two of the interventions that can save the most lives, and yet coverage has remained low, and there are... um, few people making noise about the fact that we need to do better. What's, what's very um, noticeable when you look across the interventions is that it is possible to reach all women and children. The experience of malaria prevention interventions, for example, where there was a lot of focus and a lot of commitment and a lot of money, is that coverage can increase very rapidly. Same for the prevention of maternal-to-child transmission of HIV. Whereas for other interventions, such as treatment of pneumonia and diarrhea, progress has simply not been up to, up to snuff. That's one problem. The other problem is that there's a lot of variability in how countries are doing in achieving these coverage gains. So some countries are making dramatic increases, such as Niger, whereas other countries are not, and most of the countries that are not making the progress we would like to see are the poorest countries and are the countries in sub-Saharan Africa. So we must do better. In those countries, health systems are still weak, and in some of them, poor mothers and children are still having to pay for basic essential services that can save their lives. We've got to stop that. We've got to move ahead. We've got to make sure that every woman and every child have access, financial access, physical access, cultural access to services as close to the community as possible while still maintaining the quality of care. Which brings me on to my final question. And it goes back to again, it goes back to 2003, and that is accountability. Who is in charge of making sure that the gaps in provision and coverage whether a weak health systems, how can they be strengthened to deliver interventions? Who's in charge? Where's the accountability from here on in? Because without that, these gaps could remain in perpetuity, couldn't they? You're right. The issue is accountability, and the issue is leadership. And we struggled hard with this issue. And although we don't feel that we have one answer and that there's a clear recipe for success, what we do need certainly is leadership, and we need strong leadership. Now, at country level, governments have to continue to take on that responsibility, and they have to be supported in doing that by the United Nations and their development partners. If we look across the world, rich countries have the capacity to monitor child deaths and to prioritize strategies for reaching the unreached. Increasingly, when you look at middle-income countries, they are also doing this independently. But poor countries continue and must continue to rely on the UN and partners for technical assistance and for financial resources. But they shouldn't have to sell out to do so. They should not be driven by the agendas of... um, international organizations. Each country needs the capacity to make their own decisions based on evidence and to do what makes sense in their environment and do it well. So that's where we have to head. I think we say clearly this is not the time to withdraw support from the UN, even though clearly there is room for improvement. But what we must do is all work together to support the UN and partners to allow countries to act 
wisely on their own and to be able to make decisions about how, which women and children aren't being reached in their context and what are the opportunities to reach them. And that may vary widely from one country to another. Jennifer Bryce, thank you very much. It's fantastic to talk to you uh, again. And uh, we urge everyone listening, of course, to read your review and all the other related MDG countdown material in the issue of The Lancet. So many thanks indeed, Jennifer, for talking to us. Well, thank you, Richard. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you for Lancet's support for these important issues over the whole course of the decade. Thanks again to Jennifer Bryce. Do look out for all the other countdown content in the themed September the 21st to the 27th issue of The Lancet. See you next time.